making wine in Greece, it like totally recalibrated what I thought about quality. Cause I brought a bunch of California mm. wines that I was really proud of. And the winemaker, Dimitri, he would say, Andrew, these wines are not important. And I said, I was like, what? <laughs> what is that? What is that? I never heard that word to describe. And he'd say, you will not remember it. And I was like, oh, okay. You're listening to the Vint Podcast, bringing you expert interviews, alternative market insights, and exclusive access to the world of wine and spirits investing. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Vit Podcast. My name is Brady, joined by Billy on video this time for the first time. This is our first video podcast episode. If you're listening on audio, you're not going to miss anything. But if you are on YouTube and watching us or anywhere else for that matter, you'll get a little bit more in-depth view and be able to put a face to a name for the first time maybe. Billy, what's it like being on video? Yeah, no, it's our software we're using is actually calling it a virtual studio. So for once we are together in studio together as you've been <laughs> promising everyone for me it doesn't make a difference really because i realized we're always looking at each other in video because we've been doing it on zoom yeah i'm just excited to be able to reach more people on youtube as well because everybody's able to kind of listen to a podcast but sometimes people can discover us on youtube so that'll be great yeah so my favorite podcasts too i listened to them for many months and then went to youtube and saw their video version and was totally thrown off by what the people look like versus what their voices sounded like. So curious to see if that's an experience that people have. But yeah, glad to be here. And we have a interesting episode or kind of a unique episode in that this is our first time that we've tasted wines live on the podcast with a producer. So yeah. I guess with a, in this case, a wine brand owner. But yeah, this was a unique experience. Yeah, no, I think this is going to be something really exciting for the listeners to hear. I referenced a book in there called Wine Wars, Wine Wars 2. But this episode is all cart. about <laughs> It's all about taking the business view of wine. It's really interesting to think about while the stories and the single vineyards and all of that are really interesting and where my nerdy wine passion lies. For most people, their touch point with wine is this affordable, approachable, large-scale wines, and we wanted to talk to somebody who one forty under forty from wine enthusiasts. I mean, he's yeah. working to craft these really interesting wines. Yeah, Andrew Nelson, who's our guest today, like Billy said, was forty under forty tastemaker named by wine enthusiasts in twenty twenty during the pandemic. And Billy said wines are super affordable, super approachable. And when we say affordable, under that twenty five twenty dollar range, even and yeah, really interesting expressions of a couple different places of the wines that we tasted today. Pastor Verbal's Washington State and kind of Walla and the, sorry, can't, just Central Coast generally with mm -hmm. one of the other yeah, labels. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a good kind of tour through the portfolio. War Room Cellars is the name of Andrew Nelson's kind of selection of six different labels that are under that brand name. And so it was really cool to hear from him and, and uh, have him elaborate on his approach to building a brand, which is basically putting the customers first and thinking more about what is the, what is the customer of this particular label that we're trying to acquire? What do they most like about that label and how can we amplify that? Yeah. And like it, what I thought was really interesting is he, they, the brands run the gamut from certain wines that he's seen and thought they were bold and interesting. And then over back to like brands with heritage, like Bonnie Dune, for example, that was founded by Randall Graham, who was basically one of the pioneers of Roan varieties in California and the U.S. He's one of the original Roan Rangers, and he's just known for his deep care and passion, not only for Roan varietals, but like low intervention winemaking for decades mm -hmm. now that's now popular. So he's able to kind of run the gamut between these heritage wines, as they call them, and some of these newer wines and really have consistent quality throughout and tell these interesting stories. So it's cool to hear. And I think these are like, you can put them in the category of like steward of the wine industry, especially here in the US. I think that people like Andrew are able to introduce people to new wines, new varieties in a way that really difficult, I think. And so from maybe like the investment perspective, when you think about Rhone varieties being brought to the US and amplified more, and I think they're continuing to grow in Providence and understanding 
or prominence and understanding among people that's I think directly translates to our business because that just increases the potential for there to be understanding about varieties that maybe are more prominent in France being understood here in the US and thus continuing to expand that market. I think it's all interwoven and seeks to su- support the you know what we do as a business I think as well. Yeah, and these wines are all perfectly placed at that price point that's about mm-hmm. maybe you're drinking the two buck chucks or everything under $10 in the world, but you're looking for something better. This offers that that quality step up because they, they do work hard to source wines and grapes that are quality, but it allows that step up. So I think the more that we can get people to enjoy wine as a beverage and keep them engaged with affordable options, the more they're going to think to maybe invest where they might bump up to that higher end wine that is maybe single vineyard from overseas. So this is an mm-hmm. integral part of the wine industry. And I, I think it's it's nice that there are people so passionate about it. He's one of the more passionate yeah. guys we talked about in a long time. So For sure. Yeah. And you're an art guy. And the labels, I think, are really cool, really beautiful, really premium, honestly. Like even just the paper and the like detailing on the labels is really cool. And so I appreciate that just as like a consumer. I want to enjoy every part of the wine and like the bottle doesn't need to be excluded from that. I think sometimes we think the best wines are the ones that just have Calabri font with a white uh, white paper, but these are really interesting and fun wines to sit around, I think, and talk about. Awesome. Do you want yeah, to do you want to intro Andrew? Yeah, we've talked a little about Andrew. I don't know if you want to intro a little bit more about his background. No, I think we can do that right before we end here. But why don't we touch on a little bit about say, our vent stuff? Just some updates yeah. from our side. We sent out our yearly letter. Let everybody know that. Yeah, a little bit of delay in collections since our last one is purely down to the SEC and our filing process just taking a little longer than it usually does. So we're working through that right now to hopefully have we have assets ready to go as soon as we work through with them. In the meantime, we're going to have our Q4 report out believe by the time of this publication, if not soon after. And yeah, we'll give you our thoughts on the wine industry's performance over the last quarter. We'll touch on this a little bit more next episode, as well as a light outlook towards 2023, which we can also share next episode. Yeah, we're we're excited for 2023. We'll continue to talk about it for, I think, in the next couple episodes. We'll throw in some things here and there with what we're looking forward to. We've talked a little bit about it towards the end of 2022. Changes to our product, new offerings that will be coming to the platform as we get this next batch, like you said, of 17 offerings, which should by the middle or end of this month, all of those are things to look forward to and we'll expand on them over time. Yeah, no, it's going to be a really exciting year and I'm ready to kick off. But yeah, I think, and to your point now, I just wanted to make sure we touched on those, but you want to, we can give Andrew his proper sure. intro. Yeah, Andrew Nelson is the managing partner at War Room Cellars. He's based in Slow, St. Louis Obispo yeah, there you go. Uh, County. I messed that up later in the podcast, but Central Coast of California, he was named Wine Enthusiast Magazine's 40 Under 40 Tastemaker back in 2020. He's certainly a visionary in this category that we've been talking about and just a lot of fun to talk to. So I hope you enjoy our conversation with Andrew. Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. We're excited to taste with you and hear about what you're hey, working Brady. on. Hey, Brady. Hey, Billy. I'm excited to be here, too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sure. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about you? And I know you started drinking at a young age. Tell us I, about I've that. I've always loved wine. My, my brother and I started making beer. It was our first project. Before we were 21, we brewed the beer for a wedding, <laughs> the R&C Burger Brew. 200 bottles and we made a label and everything. <clears throat> and I nice. just remember being terrified the night before the wedding that it wasn't going to be carbonated enough or people wouldn't like it. In college, I studied, I was ag business at Cal Poly on the Central Coast and with a minor in wine and viticulture. And I did my first harvest in 2007 with Edna Valley. And I just got the wine bug. I was the inoculator, so I would hydrate the yeast, and I would I'd have to shave every day and wear a respirator, and just walking around with the winemakers, tasting the tanks. I loved it. From there, I went to the Firestone Brewery. I was the night brewer, the nine to five thirty shift, and I was there for about a year. And then traveled to Greece. My buddy and I we planned the endless harvest. And if there's any young listeners out there, I encourage you to travel in the wine business for sure. So we did, we planned Greece, Austria, South Africa, New Zealand, and then 
back to California, but I only went as far nice. as Greece. I fell in love with a Cal Poly girl and it was like, it was a bad decision. I came back. I regret not doing that. Uh, I'm very happily married now. <laughs> so making Retzina in Greece at a biodynamic winery, super cool experience. Can you actually talk about that first? Like Zina traditionally has the pine yeah, resin or different yeah, spices know. added to it. So did you, how did you, yeah, how okay, was that so, process like? So like if you haven't heard when of you it, put you in should definitely spice. try it. It's a traditional Greek wine called Retzina. It's made from a grape called Sabat, which is a acidic white grape, aromatic, delicious. And you ferment it on pine sap and the pine sap would come wrapped in, in these plastic sheets and it looked like sugar cane. It was like furry, it had fiber in it and you would shovel it in and press on top of it and ferment. And wow. I never really did develop a palate for Retzina. You've tried it, Billy? You've had this before? Yeah, a few times. It's definitely an acquired totally. taste, but it's um, interesting. And it, yeah, I think I had it too when I was there and I put it out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's What was so interesting to me, it was it basically the whole experience of making wine in Greece it like totally recalibrated what I thought about quality because I brought a bunch of California mm. wines that I was really proud of. And the winemaker, Dimitri, he would say, Andrew, these wines are not important. And I said, <laughs> what is that? What is that? I never heard that word to describe. And he'd say, you will not remember it. And I was like, oh, okay. But basically the Retzina is such a cultural beverage that if you grew up in Greece drinking it, you that's quality wine. And regardless of whether it's oxidized or it's super tannic or what we in California may consider unbalanced, the quality really being in the eye of the beholder. Because I learned in school, this is what squeaky clean, here's quality wine. And then having the experience in Greece, oh, wow, the world is very different. So it's a super cool experience. Also, it was biodynamic. The horns and I was working in the vineyard with Albanians. And if Dimitri felt like I wasn't in a good mood, if I didn't have the right energy, you couldn't go to the winery. And I learned how to roll a cigarette. <laughs> it was with one of my good buddies. But anyway, so I came back. I did not continue on with my good friend. That was a difficult discussion. And then I got a job at a really innovative marketing winery in Paso Robles called Four Vines. And have you guys heard of Four Vines? Only because of yeah. this podcast. Yeah, and I, in my head is like 14 hands. Okay, not associated <laughs> with 14 hands, but uh, they, it was really out there marketing. The wine club was the Zin mm -hmm. Bitches. And, and the winemaker, <laughs> Christian, he wore like an all-white suit on on uh, on St. Patrick's Day, and you could drink the Cotty. But I got into the marketing side. The Peasant was one of their kind of more, more famous wines, and it has a lithograph of a peasant dumping a barrel of wine down and it says temperance like chastity is its own punishment that was like, <laughs> so cool i didn't know you could market wine like that so then i went up to, to i got kind of my first real job with diageo up in napa on the grower relations team so the big wine businesses will have kind of a procurement focused team that's just for grape buying what what goes into a ton of grapes for the $100 bottle at George de la Tour versus what goes into the ton of grapes for the A by Acacia, $12. And really interesting in terms of that. And then I moved into the vineyard management side, managing some hillside vineyards for, for Diageo, for the Napa North properties, and speaking Spanish. And first entrepreneurial venture was down here on the central coast. I moved back down from Napa to, to Paso, San Luis Obispo area, and got really into building distribution. How do you build distribution? And so that, that brand is called Rabble. A Rabble is a disorderly mob pushing the public to think different. <laughs> say that every day. And I learned how to build distribution, which I didn't really know how to do before. And then started the company War Room five years ago. <clears throat> We're all for wine, wine for all. And it's a broad slogan. But essentially, our focus is acquiring heritage wine brands 
and then focusing on what customers love about that brand. And sometimes that's a, mm-hmm. a wine style or a founder story or an appellation. Sometimes it's very difficult to find out what customers love and you have to create something, put the spine into the mm. jellyfish type deal. And we have six plus brands, each with a unique brand proposition and wine style. And that's the gist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you said there was a story behind the name War Rooms. How did that come about? Yeah. I had had a real painful exit from Ravel. And the war room started in like a garage with a dossier. That's the real story. (laughs) But initially, the our slogan was waging war against big wine. We're fighting it out. Ultimately, we've changed that. We want to be building something, not tearing something down. And you can see with mm-hmm. Rabble, like the mob, now uh, really focusing on positivity, positive emotions into the world. Lapis Luna is our largest brand. We're trying to inspire people to reach for the moon. Bonnie Dune is probably our most well known brand. It's all about wine exploration turning people onto new grape varieties and stewarding on a really charismatic founder there, Randall, who I think we'll talk more about. I'm a huge Randall Graham fan. Guyfall, our Washington brand, is about resiliency. It's very difficult to grow grapes in Washington State. The Big Red Monster is our Paso brand. It's a, about empowerment. Slay it is the slogan. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. The War Room. That's awesome. Nice. And, and then you have one more brand, don't you? Bubble Butt. We have to, we How can't could forget I it. forget? Yeah. <laughs> I love that you... Yeah. I'm sorry that I didn't send samples of Bubble Butt, and I love that you bring that up. Bubble Butt is our wine seltzer. It's a cheeky concept. The slogan is nice can, and it's one of my favorite products that we've made. It took three years to figure out how to make a wine seltzer and then make a world-class wine seltzer. It's It has been a challenge in terms of the customer education piece, but in terms of great product, bubble butt. There's a bubble butt jingle and the slogan is a, or the logo, I don't know if I have a sticker here, is an upside down heart, like a butt. Yep. Do you get criticism for having completely sold out or is this the new version of not selling out? I mean, out? it's interesting you ask that. <laughs> I don't think of myself as a sellout. I don't think it's... Good. Yeah, like, we don't I'm either. I'm all about spreading the passion of wine. And one of the things that Cal Poly really did instill in me was the business of wine. What my professor, professor Keith Patterson, who passed away, was all about the business of wine. And the Davis students, they can identify the grape variety by the leaf petiole, but we'll teach you how to make money in this industry. And then when I got my first big wine job with Diageo, I really didn't know what I was doing. So I would come back down. I would meet with Professor Patterson at the porch in Santa Margarita, and he would help me through. How, how, what is this business of wine? So getting back to your sellout question, I'm very focused on the business of wine, rooted in the passion. But I think Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy, he says, yeah. never follow your passion, but always bring it with you. Is that mm, nice. Mike Rowe fans out yeah. there? Where I would combat somebody who's saying, you're sold out. I think that we're trying to delight customers. And whether that customer yeah. wants 12 days skin contact, orange wine, native yeast fermentation, relatively esoteric, or a bottle of Hallmark Channel Love. Very different customers there. We're going to create a world-class product for that customer and delight them. And then we have brands Mm. for each customer segment. Does that make sense? Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. How does the guy here that scared my dog and my wife, and Billy has one, how does he fit into The Bonnie Dune Alien. Yeah. Okay. So Bonnie Dune is our most well-known brand, certainly the one with the most Mm -hmm. heritage, deep, rich heritage founded in the early eighties by just an icon in the industry and an idol of mine, Randall Graham. And the alien, Randall found these laws in Chateauneuf-du-Pape from the fifties, prohibiting alien spacecraft from landing in the vineyards. There was a mayor back in the day in Rhone that was very nervous about the spacecraft landing. Apparently, there were lots of UFO sightings at the time. And the French refer to UFOs as 
cigar volants or flying cigars. There's several different types of flying unidentified objects, but the one that these laws were around are cigar volants, flying cigars. He created a brand, a label, poking fun at this. And, I, and it's a it's just an icon within California wine. I learned about the flying cigar volant in school and Randall. So the alien that you have behind you is our fun play on the point of sales, Bonnie, who I think is terrifying dogs and young children all over the world. <laughs> We've sent out over a thousand aliens. And if any nice. of your listeners would like one, feel free. They can email me. You send them out all the time. They're really fun. So I'm serious. If you want an alien, shoot me an email. Hey, so let's, I was going to say, let's yeah, dive in a little bit more. And then we can get sure. to the wines eventually, Brady. But on Randall well, Graham, start kind pouring. Of, can you tell us a little bit about how he became one of these icons? Like He's also a person that I look up to in a way because of his Roan Rangers time and really being yeah. a proponent for varieties that aren't mainstream. So let me think on this. Randall may disagree with me in some, because he's really about the wine. But for me, Randall really opened doors in terms of what new grape varieties, new flavors of wine, and breaking down the pretension of wine. He was a huge proponent of screw caps. He held a funeral for the cork for Monsieur Terry Bouchon, the <laughs> Mr. Cork Puller with a hearse and a coffin and a body made out of cork and just really clever. But he, I'd, I'd never tasted a really savory wine before Barney Dune or a super floral acid-driven rosé before Barney Dune. So I think Randall and the Barney Dune brand and, and team have really been this pioneer in terms of wine exploration, exploring unique flavors. And so that's really what, when War Room, when we acquired the Barney Dune brand in the very beginning of 2020, there were many different wines being made. And so we really wanted to focus down, but still really steward the brand. What do customers love about this brand? And we found it's in Rhone varieties. All roads lead to Rhone. We're big Grenache fans. And then that wine exploration, which is really well embodied by alien spacecraft flying around trying to land in vineyards. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I really, I had looked into it a little bit more and I've heard him talk about cigars before <laughs> and i was unclear and then i looked it up i was like oh that's that's really interesting but what I, I do like how he not only planted these vines to introduce them to people but he's stuck to it for so long and he's just it's not just like a flash in the pan or he thinks he can make money off of it he just literally thinks they're great grapes and they really express nature and how the energy of the place yes. really well i think that's Hard to find. Oh, yeah. No, you're right on. Also, like really minimalistic intervention, native yeast fermentations, no sulfur pre-fermentation, really expression of terroir of the place. And he's been doing this for like over 30 years where everybody nowadays is talking about this, but he right. kept doing it and people are like, why are you doing it like this? Just put a ton of oak on your big yeah. red wines. Okay, so when, he was like, no. When we, were first started, <laughs> when we first were talking about doing a, a Bonnie Dune orange wine, skin contact wine, Randall said, Andrew, Bonnie Dune is either 20 years too early or 20 years too late. Insane, because I'm like, really do an orange wine, which is such a testament, right? He's either very early or late. So we have, we launched an orange wine last year. We'll taste it together. You guys have some of the last bottles of the 21 vintage in existence. Yeah, I'm, mm. I'm going to taste the shine like with you guys. Oh, nice. So, yes, to wine exploration. And ideally, we continue that legacy on to younger wine drinkers, right? Bringing people in to seeing unique grape varieties, unique flavor profiles, higher acid, more floral, aromatic wines. Why don't we were planning on tasting them all at the end, but why don't we just taste the them as we go brand sure. by brand? Oh, maybe. sure. So oh, that's a good idea. You want to start with Bonnie Dune then? Yeah, let's start with the okay. orange there. All right, cool. For those listeners who have never heard of an orange wine, this is an emerging category of wine of skin contact fermentation. So there's no oranges in here, despite it being in the name. An orange wine is fermenting white grapes like you would red. So instead of pressing the juice to the tank, 
like we would normally ferment a white off of the skins, we're fermenting these skins on, or we're fermenting this juice on its skins. There's predominantly two grapes in this bottle that you're tasting. This is the 21 vintage Bonnie Dune Cigar Orange, the orange cigar. It's about half Grenache mm. Gris, half Grenache Blanc, and a splash of orange Muscat fermented in rotary fermenters. So there's these paddles, so you can get this really gentle extraction. No sulfur pre-fermentation. It's a non-saccharomyces yeast for the grape nerds out there. Basically, all the decisions were around how do we minimize astringency, but still bring out that structure. I just think the nose is beautiful. Tangerine, oh, yeah. apricot. It's, a, it's a genuinely an orange color, just from the skin contact super aromatic and then on the palate there's just bursts of acidity but then there's that structure oh, yeah. that grit get a little bit of tannin which comes from the skin contact the finish goes on and on this is about 10 and a half 11 percent alcohol i'm i think the future is orange i think in 10 years you'll walk into a grocery store and you'll see the red white pink and orange section ideally bonnie dune is the pioneer the benchmark of orange wine we made about we made a little over 3000 cases of this and it's sold out in 70 days, less than three months. So this year, we're, we, we're actually just getting ready to bottle. We're blending later this afternoon. We're making a little north of 10,000 cases, <clears throat> which is, a, is an investment, a bet. But we do believe in orange wine. And it, for your listeners, I would encourage you to taste an orange wine. What's particularly interesting about the category is it's a blue ocean. There really isn't a specific set of qualities that people look for in an orange wine like they would a Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc. So we are trying to define mm. that blue ocean with the Bonnie Dune Cigar Orange. Yeah, what I think is really interesting about it is you don't come across even some muscat sometimes, Rhone, white Rhone varietals that are lower ABV. They tend to always be like so hot, yeah. so high. So it's really cool to get some of those notes. Also, I think it works well because a little less ripe. It's like it has that savory yes. note mixed with some citrus and the elevated muscat. It's, it's so really nice. really good yeah. point on the savoriness. That's a characteristic of all the Bonnie Dune wines, that kind of umami characteristic. A lot of that comes mm. from Lee, extended Lee's contact, not mm. secondary, but extended Lee's. Randall says Lee's is more, right? Like lots of puns. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good how one. long, when you say extended, how oh, long is on extended? The orange, we're not, we're bottling everything now. Yeah. Um, what, we're not even, we're in, it's January 9th today. So we're basically talking about Lee's contact for another 30, 60 days and not even a ton of stirring, but that extended Lee's contact, the yeast cells can break open. They release these manoproteins that coat your tongue similarly to sugar and bring that kind of umami characteristic. But no malolactic here. I just, I want to, that was something we really looked at. This is, it has all of the tart green apple acidity, that malic acid. That explains would, that acid pop. I've had a lot of orange wines where the tannins seem like just misplaced in the wine. And this is not that really well integrated and only provides structure. I haven't tasted it in a while, actually. Oh, that's delicious. And this is like a $15 bottle of wine. So it's not, it's, it's available. We're all for wine, wine for all. This is it. Accessible. Nice. Nice. All right. Should we jump into the cigar volant? You want to do the red? Yeah. Yeah. We can or do that. Do you have another quick we have, we have, um, No, I think it's fine, Brady, to move on to this. I was just going to say, I'm excited. Then we can try the seven year after. Yeah. Okay. See, I thought, I thought we were going to go white to red. At first. Oh, the idea of something brand, though. Yeah, let's do that. No, I agree. On yep. Dune, because you'll get a sense of the thread. Ideally, with all of our brands, from a customer standpoint, if you love one of them, you will love all of them. So if you like the Bonnie Dune orange wine, you're going to love the pink wine. You're going to love the red. You're going to love the pick pool. I'll send you guys some pick pool after this. See, similarly, if you love the Skyfall Cabernet, you're going to love the Skyfall Merlot. Really trying to have that kind of that, that building trust within the brand style 
for the customer. I don't want to dump the orange though. Okay, so this is brand new. This is being released right now. This is the 21 vintage Bonnie Dune Le Cigar Volant, the red. This is a Grenache blend. It's about 60, 65% Grenache, about 20% Syrah, 15 Cinso, and then just a splash of Petite Syrah. It's cool climate vineyards here in the Central Coast, predominantly Monterey. And this is the 37th vintage. I think the Grenache is just such a star here. This comes from a vineyard right near Arroyo Seco. And it has... Oh, go, it? go ahead. I was going to say, how is it made? Is, do you guys do any carbonic or anything to contain some of that juiciness? Or is it all really just... Yeah, there's um, no carbonic here. It's nicely there is no carbonic. But that's nice. a good question. It, it does have that like fruit characteristic. A little bit on the nose. Yeah, it's, that's cool. If it doesn't... I think all the lots are getting picked in the like 21 to 23 bricks range. No extended skin contact. The little bit of Syrah in here is a star. Randall and the about weapons grade Syrah. Cool climate Syrah <laughs> bring that pepper nice. and that savory characteristic. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's I should have put a little more of a chill on it. I actually have mine about room temp. I think that would that would really round out some of that savoriness. But you it's you can definitely see a parallel yeah. in between the styles. It's really it's great. And the acid's also really Oh, the ass, Much yeah, more the balancing than expecting for a 14-4 wine. Cool. Really cool. Randall and Nicole. And the color is incredible. It's a pretty color, huh? Yeah, dimly lit room. Um, that's really pretty. So, I, I, yeah, we can geek out. So it's got like the purple flowers, lilac, lavender, violets, and it's sure. fruit, like boysenberry. I get this like blue fruit characteristic. But then that that the cool climate, Grenache, and particularly Syrah, bring the white pepper. So this peppery characteristic. It's a compound called rotundone in the grape skins. And I just think that this wine spans the whole range whether you know nothing about wine or you're a geek and a half there's something for you yeah bonnie Dean. agreed i'm happy you mentioned the purple flowers too because when you very first put up your nose you get that and then you get through that layer for sure and again 15 dollars here so these are not wow. excluding wines yeah the 21 vintage so that's just going into the market right now bonnie dune the largest oh so we just from a production standpoint we make about fifteen thousand cases of the uh, 21 cigar volant just to give you an idea something mm. unique war room we don't own any vineyards we don't own a facility we buy we buy grapes and do what are called custom crush contracts so we will mm -hmm. send we'll crush somewhere around 1,800, 2,000 tons of grapes in California, and we'll send that to various facilities. And then Nicole, our winemaker, Nicole is, is the winemaker for all the War Room brands. She'll oversee, she'll go there. It's all her protocol. It's a unique wine business model than I think most customers know, but it allows us to keep costs of goods really low. And then we pass that on to the customer. So I like to think we're really competitive hmm. pricing across the board. On the Bonnie Dune, though, some of that does come from the Bonnie Dune Vineyard, though, for some of the fruit. No. The Bonnie Dune Vineyard, oh. alas, passed away in the 90s. It died of fierce Oh, wow. I didn't know Yes. A long time ago. And Randall has basically has handpicked and through trial and error, found some of his favorite regions in terms of, of planting and grafting contracts. And during our acquisition, mm. that was a big part of the due diligence, just making sure that we could continue with the same exact fruit sourcing so that the mm -hmm. style wouldn't change. But yeah, that's, that's actually interesting. I've heard that before. Some people, the, the vineyard has not been in existence for almost 20 years now. Yeah. You just, you hear his name and you read about him planting it and you just assume so it's an interesting, but it's nice to see him still. If he works with these other partners, he's overseen and makes sure they farm yeah. to his specifications. And Randall's so. the director of quite involved in, in vineyard selection and all the final blends. But it's unique grape varieties, right? These are not varieties that are commonly available. It's Tino and Pickpool and Claret Blanche and Grenache mm -hmm. Blanc, Grenache Gris. Relatively unique stuff, Cinso. So everything is done through planting or grafting contracts. 
Yeah. Nice. Which wine brand should we move on um, to next? Do you want to do, do Lapis Luna? We can go back to, to, to white. Yeah. I have my Coravin in the oh, Sauvignon yeah, Blanc. Nice. So let's do that. Oh, okay. Okay. So Lapis Luna, this is a brand that was launched in the 90s. Let me show you the original label. When we acquire a brand, we'll usually change up to three things. Like the brand position meaning the price point or the packaging so the brand position the sometimes we'll change the distribution network and the third being the juice or the sourcing so like with bonnie dune we really brought focus to the skew selection and we've changed the packaging slightly but with lapis luna it was a full revolution in packaging you can see the old versus the new label here reach for the moon yeah this Mm -hmm. lapis luna sauvignon blanc is all from a single vineyard in Mendocino. This is from the Polly Ranch. Shout out to the Pollys, Jake and Frost and Bill and Dave and the crew. I love this Sauvignon Blanc. It has all the tropical characteristics, but it's not cloying. It's not candied. I think you get the pineapple and the guava, but then it has great acid. This is a pretty windy yeah. site. Thicker skins, which adds to some structure here. Really bright acidity. I think it can bridge the gap between the California style or the New Zealand. And then the artwork for Lapis Luna is all from the early 1600s from a book that called Pia Desiria, loosely translates to Loving Desires. Each label shows a faceless hero reaching for the moon. And then on the back, she's holding a burning heart with a message, those who do not move not feel their chains you got to break free the perfect time to start never arrives think about that nice. one after a glass like you gotta <laughs> i feel like i actually i do get that like candied fruit it just like attacks the palate but then the acid comes in so quickly after it. yes like i was like taken aback a little bit i was like holy crap and then it lifted away. It's really and nice. Then I, think that this I don't drink a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. Billy does. There is. There's some weight to it. There's some structure. There's no oak. It's all stainless. But I think this area, a little thicker skins, gives it that nice structure. There's some grip there. Mm-hmm. And we we sell uh, around eight, 9,000 cases of this Lapis Luna Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> Predominantly in the spring and the nice. summer. Yeah, no, I think there is there is that kind of like warm, kind of candied fruit. But then I got mm-hmm. a little bit of herbaceousness towards the end that kind of reminded me a little bit of like Chilean Sauvignon Blanc. But then it rounds out with that ripe fruit, so it's really absolutely it's a cool, cool yeah, mix. Very between. good. So this retails mm-hmm. for about twelve, thirteen dollars. So again, wow, not that's awesome. Expensive and accessible to all. Let's go to the Lapis Reserve, a Cabernet Franc. This is of a new release for us. Cabernet Franc is delicious. If your listeners haven't tried a Cabernet Franc, they definitely should. But Chinon would probably be the investment, I would imagine. So our Cabernet Franc comes from four different sites. About half of it is in Lake County, which the Cabernet Franc, it's it's Dave Rosenthal's vineyard. And it's Cab Franc, Cab Franc. It's got a little bit of the herbaceousness, great structure, and really nice aromatics. Then we've splurged on some Napa Valley Cabernet Franc, which brings like dark, dusty fruit, big structure, concentration, an increased cost of goods. And then we're blending in two non-Cabernet Franc varieties in here, a little bit of Petit Verdot and a little bit of Merlot. The Both of those kind of bring a little bit unique characteristics. They really help lower the costs as well. From a, I keep trying to make this an investment piece. So we're calling it a California <laughs> Appalachian. So maybe weird to think it's the reserve tier, why would it be California? But that just lets us be really chicken open and where is the fruit sourcing coming from so that we can blend mm-hmm. Lake County, Napa, Paso, and Lodi all together in one bottle. This is a $19, $20 bottle 
and we made a little over 3,000 cases. I think this is a pretty cool label here, right? So our faceless hero is embracing. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on here as they're trying to reach for the moon. And then hard times always reveal true friends. I like that. Yeah, no, it's your point about the best fruit from all over the state. We, in our last episode, where we talked about Tim from Penfolds, we talked about that and how, like, even Grange <laughs> sources from all over South yeah. Australia. And, and wow. Um, yeah, no, you try to make this one. So that makes sense. To be on after lagrange is on that's awesome i opened up an 05 i don't know maybe a year ago and it was just fantastic it was like bin 11 or bin, it was one of the bins yeah it was mm-hmm. just just some serious wines nice that's cool yeah no they filters some great wines but yeah no that's, it's really interesting i like having cab franc front and center and mm-hmm. it really shines when having a little bit more of that the body and a little bit of the color from the merlot and pinot or not no. the kind of continual like the varietal characteristic is usually associated with some greenness some vegetal characteristics Mm -hmm. which is nice but we're keeping that in small doses here i think that there is a little bit of that vegetal characteristic but i'd say it's like more red pyrazine if that makes sense it's more like there's the dark fruit but not overly green yeah i guess for for me pepper yeah yeah, I was thinking like ripe yeah, green, yeah, yeah like lighter green, like closer to a pepper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you guys yeah. are wine guys, huh? <laughs> Billy's a wine guy. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's the wine guy. But this is, I love doing this, the tastings. It's really good fun. Okay. So just to recap for your listeners, we've done the Bonnie Dune Cigar Orange, or the Bonnie Dune Orange Wine, which is skin mm-hmm. contact, predominantly Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris. Then we did a Grenache, the Cigar Volant, relatively obscure, higher acid. Then we've gone to Lapis Luna. We did a Mendocino Sauvignon Blanc and now a Cabernet Franc from four areas in California. Yeah. Oh, the Cab Franc. Let's do the Skyfall. Okay, cool. We'll go to Washington State. Yeah. So Skyfall, this is a newer brand. We're just relaunching now with the new package and vineyard sourcing i can show you past and present here so you can see it was a very classic table and we're going with resilience bonnie nice. Dune is wine exploration lapis luna is inspiration reach for the moon skyfall washington state is a very difficult area to grow grapes there's essentially no soil the soil all eroded away in glacial floods there's dust that has blown in. There's fires and maybe six inches of rain. Just some comparison, like Napa got like north of 10 inches of rain in the last week, which isn't normal, but hardly any water in eastern Washington. Frosts and snow. and Yet from this harsh growing climate comes the beauty of Mother Nature. Resilience. Skyfall, the spirit of Washington State. Do you sell these labels blown up? You should, if you don't. It's like Chick-fil-A is selling their sauce in, oh, that's in containers. We give them, you, give you, you would make a killing. We give a lot away. We, we, we have lots of these labels and posters and stand-ups. That's a good point. We have not been selling them, but we've been giving them away. It's all original art, though, for the um, labels? It is, although... Many of our brands is from the is original public domain artwork. So it's created three, four, two hundred years ago, and then we'll tweak it or focus on something to make it specific mm. to the brand. The the Cabernet in Washington, I think, has this really unique blue fruit characteristic, blueberry, boysenberry. There's a little bit of Merlot and Syrah in here as well. Most of this comes from the Columbia Valley and then the Merlots from Walla, but like blueberry. More structure, more tannin here. This is a little bit higher price point. This is going to be like $15, $16. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, man. Skyfall, the spirit of Washington State. That's awesome. Yeah, I always have one of the first wines I've had that I could remember or recalled and tried to find again was a Syrah from, or they call it a Shiraz from Washington State. But the value, Do you remember what, which brand the quality it was? ratio. 
It was a two vines Shiraz made by Columbia oh, cool. Valley. Yeah, it was a 2008. I was nice. in college. I thought that was cool. That was an awesome um, moment for you. For sure. Kinda, yeah, it was. I think Shiraz um, does that too. Yeah, no. A lot where it's, oh, I didn't know wine can taste yeah. like that. This was in like 2012 too. It was like our senior year. For some reason, a buddy, two buddies and I would always just go to the grocery store and grab a bottle of wine and then watch a TV show. Cool. And then just drink it. So I would just walk around trying to find the oldest bottle at the grocery store. For whatever reason, and that was the oldest one at the time. Oh, that's a cool exercise. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I've never done that. I go frequently that, to grocery that. outlet. I think grocery outlets like this mm-hmm. really interesting spot to see. You find the discount wines, and so where what's in there? But I haven't ever looked for the oldest. That's a very good. I'm gonna try that, Billy. Yeah, this goes to show it wasn't a great grocery store either because like they didn't have anything that was actually. That's how most people buy wine, though, but... right? They buy it in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It's consumed within couple hours i had a similar sort of syrah experience i would buy wine from trader joe's and i just started paying to it paying attention to what was in it and i noticed i had four wines in a row that i really liked and they all had syrah in common so i was like oh i like syrah that was yeah i love syrah we would make it if we there's a joke there's a syrah joke what's the difference between (laughs) syphilis and syrah (laughs) we can get rid of a case of syphilis like uh, uh, <laughs> so which is funny because i think i've heard many people over the years say if you blind people on wines they'll choose a syrah a lot of the time because it's great but if you tell them to pick based on the name yeah they won't do it so uh, it's, it's like, such a it's yeah so interesting bonnie dune has launched had a syrah lake that was just delicious but for some reason or another customers do not buy syrah Maybe that will change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we get, we get Tanat. Yeah, Tanat in this slay it. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Let's taste. We can taste the big red monster. This is our past Robles brand. That kind of excites me. The big red monster. Yeah, gonna... This is Cab with Tanat and Petite Syrah. This is our only non-vintage brand. We found wow. that a customer who's buying the a wine called the big red monster is much more interested in the flavor and the boldness than the vintage. This is a brand that was launched in 2005. We relaunched it two or three years ago. So Paso is my favorite growing region. You get the big diurnal temperature difference, right? The difference between the hot and the coldest part of the day. That gives you big flavor and still keeps the acid. For your listeners, they can remember the word diurnal. by. But I had a PowerPoint slide with Princess Di and a urinal on it and the, oh. the room was just like <laughs> not sacrilegious that's perfect the room didn't laugh at all <laughs> but you'll never forget it diurnal the diurnal temperature difference paso it's we're worried about frost protection at night and heat stroke or sunburn during the day but then the cost right. of the land you can it's such great value mm-hmm. uh, there are million dollar acres in napa now sonoma is 150 to probably like 300 or so and paso come depending on where you are is 30 40 50 thousand dollars an acre well we don't own any acreage we buy fruit and i just think that consumers can find such great value in paso yeah i was going to say the other wine region aside from washington <laughs> state where you can find really high quality value Red wines is it passed that would be the next one that comes to mind. Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, Cabernet, two different vineyards, b- b- both east side, a little north. The Tanat is a, a gem in the cellar every year. Tanat, it's like squid ink, it's super dark, it brings structure, yeah. it brings tannin and color. And then the Petite Syrah just doubles down on that dark fruit. Big 15% alcohol here. We did the silver oak style bell die cut, the proclamation mm-hmm. of Passer Robles, slay it, empowerment. Mm-hmm. This is St. George slaying the dragon. Yeah, nice. they have a lot of fun with the branding. <laughs> so, how much Tanat is in this one? I think about, yeah. about four, like a little north of 10% Tanat in here. It's just north of okay. 75% Cabernet. So we can label it varietally Cabernet. And if I had, if I remember, yeah. I think that this one was like 14% Tanat and 10 or 11 Petite Syrah. So I, enough to be yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love so, adding. I love Tanat in there. 
Go ahead, Billy. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so I think what's really interesting about these wines in general and then what you're doing is I don't think a lot of people do think about the business side of wine. I know before hmm. I joined like the W set program, I had read a book called Wine Wars. I don't know if you've I have read not it. read Wine Wars, um, actually. I highly recommend it. There's actually a Wine Wars too. I would okay. probably start there because it's more up to date. But it basically he talks about this like eternal battle between terroir yeasts, as he calls them, or he might sure. call them terrorists. I don't know. I read it here what I think. But and then like other people who are just wine proponents. And his main goal is the terror terroirists are saying like, you should always make a wine that's like pure should be from where it's from and tell that story and not mess with it. And the other people are like, we want to make wine that's affordable and approachable to everybody. It's so if you keep making it so esoteric and unattainable, nobody's going to drink any wine. Like we want to have mm. wine that you drink on a regular basis. And then we want to have wine where you can tell a story and that can also overlap. And I, I think your wines do an interesting part of overlapping between the two because there is a story and a through line but they're also approachable and thank you we really try to focus it on the customer because i do think we have a wine for those terroirists depending (laughs) on where the customer is in their wine journey we have something for them as long as they're drinking wine i'm happy yeah i mean i love that i love that you're labeling this wine that we're drinking here cabernet and then there's Tanat in it, which I haven't seen Tanat in a wine in Paso. I drink a lot of Paso wine. I just have never seen Tanat. And we have a lot of it in Virginia, where I just came from. And actually, one of my favorite wines from there is 65% Tanat, which is why I was asking how much was in it. But I think, yeah, to Billy's point, you're able to provide a wine that a lot of people at the table are going to love, and they can turn the bottle around and explore yes. something new. What's really Tanat cool. like? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Virginia. What, oh, what's Tanat? Oh, oh, what's Tanat oh. like? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just joking. I'll clip that. I'll clip that. That's what that'll be the mission of the podcast. Get bring the case sale of Tanat up like ten percent in the U.S. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it probably it wouldn't be hard. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the variety I'm gonna I'm gonna die on that hill for. The mainstay varieties, but I think you can expand beyond those sure. by blending and by being transparent in what's going in. But you notice we did not put the variety or we didn't put the percentage breakdown on that. You asked, what is it? We list them in order, but we don't put the percentage just so that we can keep consistency over vintages and bottlings. And then we have actually swapped out the Petite Syrah with Petite Verdot in the past. But we're really mm. focused on that super consistent flavor profile so that a customer could trust, oh, I liked that when I tried it a year ago. I'm going to like it now. And I remember liking the Cabernet. Oh, I'll like the Zin as well. There's a big red box of Zinfandel. So Brady, I think, first came across you. I've seen your wines in the grocery store. I didn't know they were yours, obviously. With the wine enthusiast 40 under 40, how has that experience been? Was it a surprise that you guys... Did it come out of the it blue? Was. How, yeah. I felt I was honored, but I felt a lot of pressure from that. It's the wine business is hard, as you guys know. I don't know, I kinda of like some anonymity and like lowering the pressure. <laughs> Matt Detman came up here had a beer. I wouldn't say we're friends, but I love hanging out with him. And Matt Ketman's the editor for Central yeah. Coast. He's He reviews all the wines exactly. in the Central Coast for wine. And he's just a cool dude to know. hang out with. We met at the porch, and I probably told him more than I should have. And and then, I don't know, like a month later, he sent me a note. He said, hey, I just want to let you know I nominated you for this. And I said, oh, my, I'm flattered. Th- thank you. And then, hmm. I don't know, a few months later, it, I got the announcement, and it was in the heat. It was in the heart of the pandemic. So all of the photo shoots and everything were done in full lockdown. The photographer like had us set up our phones or an iPad, and I wanted to wear a mask in my shot to be like, you know, when we look back, and they're like, absolutely not. People, they need to see your face. But it was a wonderful experience, and we're big wine enthusiast fans. But candidly, I felt pressure. Of no, now like people think now it's what? a success. Yeah. It doesn't always mean that it's a success. Well, either yeah, way, congrats. You. Thank yeah, you. It's, it's exciting. And you're living in SLO and you said you love Paso. What are your three under the radar producers in Paso that you 
like really love oh, what they're doing. Wow. You think they're kind of of the same ethos. Shout out. Okay, hold on. Let me just. You can also diss no, no, the producers will. that you really I hate what they're doing. <laughs> a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, That's right. Okay, let me think about this. And while you think oh. about it, we can note that Brady just called Flow SLO. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't going to call you out, Brady. That means that you don't know. Uh, That's okay, though. Oh, did I say SLO? Just say slow. But that's okay. I'm as far. I'm as far away from the culture (laughs) as I'm just trying to osmosis some of it into me. I've been there once. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, so one producer that I just love and really trust the quality will just knock socks off is Herman Story, the winemaker. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you guys are familiar. That's a favorite of mine. The ugly people on the labels, right? Yeah, the late bloomer, right? It's the... Uh, yeah. yeah, late, late so, bloomer. Some yeah. of the labels have the childhood pictures of the wine club. And, um, <laughs> but I just particularly love the, those wines. And if I'm like out yeah. and about and I see that on the bottle list, that's a go-to for me if I'm splurging a little bit because they're quite quite a bit pricier than our wines. Yeah. Another winery that I don't think needs more press, but I do just really respect and recommend a lot is Hope Family. I just think that those wines really over deliver. It's one that I can chip on my shoulder. Oh, we got to grow bigger, faster. But, and then just because of my past, I got to give a nod to Tooth and Nail. I I think people would be very surprised to hear me say that, but I want anybody trying to make it in the wine business to be successful. I think it's just a very difficult industry. So even someone, or if even if there has been issues, I wish great success to anybody trying to make it in the business. So those would be my three. Nice. Yeah, I think tooth and nail is, I could see you in that tasting room, just your style and kind of approach and the like storytelling and stuff. I, oh, that's I could very see ironic. That. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining. I think those are all of my questions. I'm now going to go out and recommend Cool. These wines. I'm excited to actually dig awesome. into them. I'm happy we filmed and, this on um, a Friday. I'll send you guys some bubble butt too. We didn't touch <laughs> on bubble butt, but we created a wine seltzer. It's delicious. It took three years to make the stuff. Champagne level carbonation, burger. And I actually butter. meant to ask, what makes it a, for those who don't know, some a lot of the seltzers are just like carbonated water with miscellaneous ethanol sure. Vodka, in yeah, of sure. different sources. So what makes a wine different from, say, sure, any sure. of the other so ones? A wine-based seltzer. Seltzer is malt-based, so no grape juice associated. But there's like the spritzer category, which, and people would debate me on this, but I would say that a spritzer has added fruit juice and sweetness. There's usually some residual sugar, whereas a wine seltzer is a wine base and no sweetness. So it's wine and then seltzer water. And ours is particularly delicious. It was featured on the Wine Enthusiast podcast, actually. It was flattered on. I was flattered to, to be featured, but it were ferment we're basically fermenting like we would be for traditional sparkling and then adding water, 15 mm-hmm. to 20%, depending. We, we lower the alcohol to 8.4% alcohol. By lowering the alcohol, that allows us to bring the carbonation level up to champagne level carbonation and avoid some sparkling taxation, pass that right on to the customer. So basically what makes Bubble Butt so unique is it's champagne level carbonation, but eight and a half percent alcohol. And it's delicious. It's awesome. Cheeky. It's a nice can. We're going to have to go out and <laughs> find some yourself. of that. But thank you so much again for joining. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. And if anybody wants to send awesome. me an email, my email is andrew at warroomsellers.com. I'm glad to send out posters or stickers. I'm always glad to have people reach out. This guy. Yeah. If you want an alien? Yeah. The, the yeah, alien. Send me an email. I really will send you an alien. <laughs> My wife will send you my alien. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Eric, Thanks a lot, Andrew. Vincent appreciate it. About what you guys are doing. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. Cheers. To check out our current offerings and to sign up for the Vint platform, find us at www.vint.co. That's www.vint.co. For questions, comments, or feedback on the Vint podcast, please email us at support at vint.co.
Vint and VV Markets are offering securities pursuant to Regulation A. Our offering circulars amended can be found on the SEC website. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments such as those on the Vint platform are speculative and involve substantial risks to consider before investing. We may provide communication that may contain certain forward-looking statements that are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Information provided in any communications, including this podcast, is not legal, business, or tax advice. All prospective investors should consult a legal, tax, or business advisor concerning the subject matter of any communications and any offering.